With the exception of perhaps Bertrand Russell, I think everyone I've ever met loves Jesus. Even people who don't like Christians or the church seem to like Jesus. I mean, he's right up there with Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and Elvis. He's loved by nearly everyone. And what's not to like, right? I mean, he, he tells stuffy religious people what to do with their stuffy religion. He likes a good joke. He's passionate about God. He does it all without um, a desire for money. He, he, he's, he's great. What's not to like? Besides all that stuff, he does nice stuff like defend little children. He um, heals sickly people. He raises the dead so that their mothers and friends will stop crying and gives them back to him. It's no wonder people like Jesus, even if they don't like the church. And when Jesus speaks, oh, it's like honey on fried Mexican ice cream. You know the type, right? It's so sweet, isn't it? I mean, blessed are the peacemakers. No, I didn't say cheesemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Consider the lilies of the field. All these sayings that Jesus gives. I mean, they're so gentle and soft and, and so, well, they put life in perspective, don't they? He says everything just so well. But I suppose it's a good thing that most people don't actually read the whole gospel. Because if they had, they might stumble along today's passage. Well, and they might be a little disturbed if they had, wouldn't they? You heard it, didn't you? I mean, he says, I come to bring fire upon the earth. Listen, I came back from a, ho- a week of holiday, and I opened up the lesson to prepare for this week, and, I'm, and I said, what? This is the text I get? I mean, you take a holiday, and this is the text I get? Why couldn't I have love God and do good? I mean, anybody could preach that sermon. But this one? I come to bring fire on the earth? I come to bring division? Really, this is the text? I, we don't come Sunday mornings to hear passages like this. We want gentle sunsets, footprints in the sand. This is the stuff we want, right? We don't want division and fire upon the earth. But Jeremiah told stories about prophets who only preach what makes people happy. And so I shan't be one of those today. This is our text. We'll look at it. We'll deal with it straight on. And here it is. Here's the hard truth of the gospel. The Christian religion isn't always puppy dogs and rainbows. Sometimes it's angry pit bulls and thunderstorms. That's just the way it is. And if anyone's told you otherwise, well, they're selling you something, aren't they? Because that's not what the gospel says. You heard the first passage, I have come to bring fire upon the earth. Friends, this isn't about roasting marshmallows. If that's what you thought the fire was about, it's not. Fire is judgment, isn't it? In the Old Testament, in Malachi's prophecy, fire is what heats up gold till it turns into liquid, and then you skim the impurities off the top. In St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, fire is what tests our works. If our works are truly good works, they're like silver and gold in the fire. They might liquefy, but they'll be right there. They're going nowhere. But if our works are false, it's wood, hay, and stubble, consumed in a puff of flame. The fire part's difficult. But it's pretty straightforward. The division part, well, that's even a little more troubling yet. Jesus says, Do you think that I came to bring peace? I tell you no, but division. You heard the passage, didn't you? Father against son, daughter against mother, daughter-in-laws against mother-in-laws, and on and on it goes. 
And I want to say, but what happened at Christmas time? Does anybody remember those passages we read at Christmas? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, I like those passages better. Maybe we should go back to those. Do you ever think that maybe we should go back to those and leave these one behind? Well, I think what he's saying, I think both are true. Peace on earth, goodwill to men is true. If you look at Jesus' mission holistically, it's true that he does come to set the world back to rights, to make way the, the, the open the door to, to God's mercy, to, to make the way back to God possible. He does this for all of us. But if you look at, at what he's saying in chapter 12 of Luke's gospel, it's also true that sometimes peace doesn't come for those who follow Jesus. Because he's told his friends where he's going. I'm on my way to the cross. And discipleship means that you have to come with me. It means that you have to follow. It means that I have to follow. Discipleship is about taking a road to the cross. So imagine, imagine the first century. A young woman comes home to her family and she says, I heard the most amazing teacher today. I think he's the Messiah. Do you know what her parents would do to her? They would lock her in a room and, and, and say, no, you stay away from that man. Or imagine a 30-year-old young fisherman, and, and he's, he's on a boat with his dad, and he looks and he hears this, this preacher preaching, and, and he says to his dad, I'm sorry, dad, I quit. I'm going to follow him. I don't know where it's going to end up, but I'm going with this guy. We call that person St. Peter. His dad probably called him a fool. Don't you do that. Stay here on this boat. This is where you belong. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. If we follow Him to the cross, there's often no middle ground. The message at the heart of Christianity is often this. Sometimes following Jesus means disappointing people that you love very much. Sometimes it means disappointing them greatly. But it means making a choice. You know, I grew up in a home where we had a... um, we had a label, you know. Somebody said, "Do you have a denomination?" Yes, we do. We have this, um, you know, this mainline Christian denomination, but we almost never went to church. Easter, Christmas, hardly ever in the same year. You don't want to overdo these things, you know. Um, I, I learned, I learned the Lord's Prayer. That was a joke. I learned the Lord's Prayer. I, I learned the twenty-third Psalm. You know, I, I think I, I was a Trinitarian because the Apostles' Creed told me I had to be. I didn't really know what it meant. I had no real Christian faith. I was no more a Christian well, than my dog Lucy, who's pretty close to being a Christian, is today. You see, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than drinking milk makes you a cow. You know, it's not by proximity to this that you become one. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> becoming a Christian is about deciding to follow Jesus. It's about making a decision that you're going with Him. We've done this uh, all through our lives, right? In the church, we've ritualized this. We bring our babies to the altar and we baptize them. But then we have a time for confirmation. A time when that child who grows up in the faith, who's lived in the faith all his or her life, says, yes, I want to follow Jesus for myself. Now sometimes that order doesn't always work out in our lives. Sometimes things are a little bit different. But it means following Jesus and making a decision to do so. And sometimes that decision is costly. They say in the 16th century that Martin Luther's father was angry with him when he said he decided to become a monk instead of a lawyer. His father wanted him to become a lawyer and not a clergyman. 
I don't know, maybe he would have changed his mind today. But anyway, he was upset with him in that day. And, and, um, and Luther became a very conscientious monk. He worked very hard. And um, he, he came along this decision. Uh, he, he started reading the scriptures and studying them quite closely. And he was somewhat at odds with the church in Rome because of this. Now, the things that he had discovered and he wanted to say, he had read about also a man named Jan Hus, a Bohemian um, uh, priest who had preached in, um, in, in Prague. And um, when the church had heard what Jan Hus had to say, the same things that Luther had to say, they invited him to a conference. They promised him safe travel. And when they got there, they decided to have, um, well, they decided to have a roast. And um, it wasn't the kind where everybody laughed. It was the kind where they stuck a, a metal bar around Jan Hus's neck, chained him to a stake, and lit him on fire. And after they had burned him so thoroughly, they decided he wasn't burned enough. So they lit more of a fire around him and burned him yet a second time. Until nothing was left but small chips of bone, a little bit of ash. When Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the castle church door at Wittenberg, he knew what he was up against. He knew that this could mean his end. The same thing of Cramner. The same thing of, of Latimer, Ridley and others. Burned at the stake because they believed in following Jesus that it meant something. Well, thanks be to God, most of us today don't have to worry about being burned at the stake for matters of conviction and heart. But perish the thought that we think following Jesus means nothing. You heard the passage in Hebrews. Let, let me remind you of the passage that was read just a little bit ago. It, some of these that were, were mentioned by their faith... What happened to some of them? A lot of good things. You know, they, they received their, their, their children back, resurrected from the dead, and so on. Some were healed, but some were tortured, refusing to accept their release so that they might attain a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The writer says, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens. For most of us, a yes to God, well, it means a lot of good stuff. But even though grace is free, it is not cheap. It, makes it, it costs us something to make a decision to follow Jesus. Am I going to follow Him no matter what? Come all the other possibilities that might. And the story is told of a, a group of tourists in Europe. They were going about uh, visiting these uh, famous villages where, where famous people like Shakespeare or, or William Wallace or Joan of Arc were, were, were born. And they, they went around and they saw all these famous birth sites. And, and they came upon this one picturesque little village. And someone in the crowd asked the tour guide, So, was, was any great man or woman born in that village? The tour guide thought for a minute and he said, no, only babies with great potential. The difference between a great person and an ordinary one is in the choices that they make. And the choice to follow Jesus is the greatest choice that we'll ever make. And it will determine what kind of person we are, both now and in eternity. Amen.